English is a funny language. See? <laughs> a guinea pig is not from Guinea, and neither is it a pig. If writers write, why don't fingers fing? Now, if the plural of tooth is teeth, how come the plural of booth isn't beef? If the teacher taught, why didn't the preacher prot? If vegetarians eat vegetables, why don't humanitarians eat humans? Why do people recite at a play and play at a recital? We park on the driveways and we drive on parkways. How can a house burn up as it burns down? Why do we fill in a form by filling it out? Word usage, language, double meanings. I want to point out to you at the outset the importance of words. And I'm going to give you some for instances. The word cry has three letters, but so does joy. The word hate has four letters, but so does love. The word lying has five letters, but so does truth. The word enemies has seven letters, but so does friends. The word negativity has ten letters, but so does positivity. You see, life is two-sided. Choose the better side. John Ortberg told this story in a message he preached a number of years ago. It's been written, it's been repeated, etc., etc. But I want to follow that opening theme and set the stage for this morning's message. He said a CEO has taken on a new job, and the outgoing CEO, the man who's leaving, says to the new guy, sometimes you'll make a wrong decision. You will. You'll make wrong choices. You'll do things that should have been done a certain way. You decided it should be done another way, and you'll mess up. You will. And when that happens, I've prepared three envelopes for you, and I left them in the top drawer of the desk. So the first time it happens, open envelope number one. And the second time it happens, open envelope number two. And the third time, open number three. So several months go by, as in the new job, and everything seems to be going fine. And then, oh boy, whoops. The CEO makes his first mistake that was obvious. He said, what do I, oh, I'll go to the drawer. Opens up the envelope, envelope number one, and the message reads, blame me. So he does. So he says to the others, this is the old CEO's fault. He made these mistakes, and I just inherited those problems. And everybody thought about it, and then they said, okay, that seems okay. It works out pretty well. So things go along for quite a while again, and then he makes his second mistake. So he goes to the drawer again, and he opens up envelope number two, and this time he reads, 
blame the board. And he does. And he says it's the board's fault. These people, the board, they've just done nothing but make a mess. And I inherited all those messes they've made. They're the problem. And everybody says, okay, that makes sense. Things go really fine for a while. I mean, quite a while. And then, uh-oh, he makes his third mistake. So he goes to the drawer, opens it up, pulls out envelope number three, and reads this message. Prepare three envelopes. <laughs> All that to say eventually we have to own up to our own mistakes. But listen to this, but failure doesn't have to be fatal. In fact, important lessons can be learned from our failures, even if we fail as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will. Sometimes in the Christian life, we get so caught up in our own successes that we fall flat on our faces. And that happened to Jesus' original followers. They were casting out demons. They were healing sick people. They were becoming very popular with the people. Three of them even had gone to the top of a high mountain with Jesus and they even saw Moses and Elijah. And then they came floating down from that mountaintop experience and they crash-landed as abysmal failures. Even so, they learned some important lessons, and those are lessons that we can learn, you and I both, from our failures. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, whatever form you have, I invite you to turn with me right now to Mark 9. That's right, Mark chapter 9, where we're going to learn some lessons from failure. And a message entitled, The Value Added Life, Part 2. This is Part two. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you so much for your, your patience with us. And now, as we embark on this journey into the, neo, the Theonoustos, the, the God-breathed Word, God, as we come into this Word today, I ask for your anointing upon the lips of the, of the messenger and upon the ear, the heart, and the spirit of the listener. I pray that all things will be done to your glory and the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we pray, we remember our team in Guatemala. We pray you give them clearance today through all of the travels and that you will, they will arrive safely at their destination for the week. Pray, God, that you will bless each one of those dear saints as they minister in your name. And now we ask you to make us fully attentive to your word and lead us by your spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm I'm reading now, Mark 9, starting to read at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Not a good sign. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing, arguing with them about, he said. And, he asked. and a man in the crowd answered, 
Teacher, I, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. See it now. Here we have a distraught father comes to Jesus' disciples for help. He'd heard the news of what was going on in the region, and he comes there with his demonized boy, and this is something they should have been able to handle. And after all, Jesus had given them authority, you've got to remember this, to cast out demons and to do all manner of miracles, and they had done them many times before. And your reference there, if you're a note-taker, is Mark, uh, Mark 6, just back three chapters, especially verses 7 and 13. But this time, they couldn't do it. This time, the disciples fail, and fail miserably. Why? Well, look at what Jesus tells them then in verse 19, still reading. You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, and he scolds them for their unbelief. You see, they'd done this so many times before, and they'd become so good at it that they became self-confident, and they forgot to depend on God. Subtle form of unbelief. It's the unbelief of pride. Be careful. William Lane, a great commentator, said this in his commentary on Mark, and I quote, he said, an attitude of unbelief and self-confidence based on past success had exposed them to failure. That's a heavy, heavy condemnation. So here's the first lesson to learn from failure. Don't depend on yourself. Instead, number one, depend on Christ. The Holy Spirit has revealed it to me very clearly in my own spirit that there's somebody here today that needs this message. Depend on Christ. Keep on believing in Him. Keep on trusting the Lord. Continue to, to rely upon Him, even if you've been a Christian for a while, because as soon as you stop relying on the Lord, like His first disciples, you too will fail. Many of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom. I won't go back into all that history. But Corey Ten Boom used to tell the story of a woodpecker that was pecking away at a tree when the sky turned black and thunder began to roll. Undaunted, the woodpecker went right on working. <laughs> Suddenly, a bolt of lightning struck that old tree and splintered, splintered it into hundreds and hundreds of pieces. It frightened the bird, but he was unhurt. And then as he flew away, he looked back with amazement and said, Look what I did. <laughs> Look what I did. See that woodpecker? He failed to realize that a power far greater than itself had splintered that tree. He just happened to be in the right place <laughs> at the right time. Now suppose that bird decided to blast away at another tree. He's thinking to himself all the while, I've got experience at this sort of thing. I'll just peck away for a little while and then boom, just like last time, it'll be gone. What do you think will happen? 
I'll tell you. You don't have to think very long. The bird will continue to peck until it gives itself one massive headache and then, and then spend the rest of the day wondering why it failed. So it is when we fail to recognize that a power far greater than ourselves is at work in our lives. We just happen to be at the right place at the right time. We're busy serving the Lord and boom, and I've seen this happen, just sort of out of nowhere and unexpected, and that's when God shows up, God does a miracle. God transforms a life. God saves a soul. God provides a need. God even causes a church to grow. That's when we have to be very careful. Not to just step back and say, look what I did. Look what we did. Because as soon as we do, we are setting ourselves up for failure. So that when another opportunity comes along and we think, hey, i got experience at this, this is, I can do this sort of thing anyway, I'll just do what I did last time, and then, and then we wonder why the only thing our efforts give us is one, like the woodpecker, massive headache. It's the unbelief of pride. And it'll eventually cause us to fail every time. So in all our efforts, we must keep on trusting the Lord. We must continue to rely on Him because Jesus succeeds where we fail all the time. Jesus had asked His disciples to bring the demonized boy to Him. So let's read on, starting at verse 20. So they brought Him. <laughs> I guess they would. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love this next verse. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Said Jesus... If you can, the man said to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us. If you can, said Jesus, read the rest of that verse with me. Everything is possible for one who believes. Say it again because I don't think you were believing it when you read it. Everything is possible for one who believes. You see, if you're a note taker, get this in your notes. It's not a question of his ability. It's a question of our faith. It's not how big is your God. That's not the thing we throw around a lot. It's, it's, it's how enduring is our faith. And then Mark 9.24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe! Immediate! How, uh, when did that 
kick into the dad? Like maybe like about six weeks later or a year or two? Or when, when do you think he kind of uh, came to his senses? Immediately! The boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I know a lot of Christians that should be praying that prayer almost on a daily basis. Bless your heart. I love the honesty of that father's reply. He'd come there in faith. Let's set the scene again. He's expecting the disciples to really do something for the boy. And if he does, if they do, and he's, he's fully expecting they will, then that's going to really do something for him too. Are you with me? But now, have you ever been here? He's not so sure now. Huh? That father, his faith is wavering. His faith is faltering. And so he simply turns to Jesus' last resort to keep it from crashing down on the rocks of disappointment and disbelief. So what does Jesus do? Does he tell that father, Aha, I suspected such a thing. Your faith's not very strong. Matter of fact, it's not strong enough. You're just here looking for a handout. I might have known. No. Let's stay with the narrative. Let's go to the next verse, 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure or evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit, the evil spirit shrieked, convulsed the boy violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. So Jesus cast the demon out, succeeding now where his disciples had failed. But look at the compassion. Let's stay there a few moments. Look at the compassion that Jesus shows. He takes the time, and I think this is really interesting. Like, he knows everything, right? He knows everything, right? Absolutely, no question there. Jesus takes the time to ask the dad about the boy's condition, verse 21, that we read. How long has he been like this? How bad has it been? He didn't have to do that. He could have delivered the boy without knowing how long he'd been demonized. He could have snapped his fingers and all that scene would have been over. But Jesus cares. Listen to Christians, Christian church. Listen. But Jesus cares enough to ask, and I'm not done, and he cares, this is going to hurt, enough to listen. He's not there to put on a show. This is not a photo op. He's there because he cares, and he cares enough to listen. Can you say that with me? He cares enough to listen. He cares enough to listen. 
before you go to prayer next time. Remember that little saying. Does he hear my prayer? Does he know I'm praying? Does he even care? He cares and he cares and he cares and he cares enough to what? Listen. Then he cares enough to heal. He cares enough to heal the boy without making any public spectacle of the boy. I like that too. Verse 25, I like that. I want you to notice something here. We read it, but it might have got by you quickly. Before the crowds even get there, he drives the demon out. And the boy's standing there, whole, complete, clean. By the time the crowd arrives. I love that part. See, he cares. Well, tell me a little bit about this. How long has this been going on? How bad has it been? I think by this time, the father's starting to feel some of that empathy and some of that, that true and sincere, sincere uh, interest. And he tells Jesus about the boy. And Jesus listens. And Jesus takes them aside and they get to a place where they can be alone before the crowd gets there because the crowd is just like the, uh, the, the, uh, the people who are, are, are chasing all famous people around every day. They can't take two steps. Well, it was all over. You can go home now because Jesus has done his work there and he's ministered to this family and things are going well. Now, remember, Jesus' disciples are also there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wouldn't want to have been one of them. And they're learning some lessons. To, now, that, now, this is where we come in. <clears throat> because they're learning some valuable, very important and valuable lessons by just watching the Master. Hmm? In fact, here's what Jesus is teaching them. He is teaching them an important lesson, a lesson that he wants them to learn from their failure and that is the lesson of love. You see, my friend, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, then peace and reality and success will be the result. When the power of love overcomes the love of power. Wow. You see, failure is teaching those disciples, and right now in this room, I believe, by the power of the Spirit of God, failure could be teaching somebody that we must not only depend on Christ, but like Christ, we must also, here's lesson number two, we must care for people. And that means, simply put, I'm going to keep it simple so I can understand it. We must have real compassion for those in need. We must truly love those who are held captive by Satan's forces. When a flashlight grows dim or quits working altogether, do you just throw it away? Well, they have throwaway flashlights. But a regular flashlight that you kind of like having and want to keep, of course not. What do you do? 
you change the batteries. So when a person messes up or finds themselves in a really dark place, well, what do you do? You cast them aside? You kick them out to the curb? Of course not. You help them change their batteries. Now, some need double A's, attention and affection. Some need triple A's, attention, affection, and acceptance. Some need C batteries, compassion. That won't do for some. They need these. Direction. And if they still don't seem to shine, if their light is not bright, simply sit with them quietly and share your light. Hello. That's another area where Jesus' disciples failed. Not too many people teaching this will bring this up, but I want you to learn something from it. They didn't depend on Christ, one. And two, they didn't really seem to care about the demonized boy and his father. You see, they were more interested in demonstrating their wonderful magical abilities. They wanted to impress the religious leaders and all the other folks there that were gathered. They just wanted to show off their stuff. And in so doing, here's what they did. They ended up totally embarrassing themselves. One, getting into an argument with the teachers of the law. Two, and nearly destroying, this is the most important thing, the faith of that distraught father. You see, when we operate our lives like that, and we interconnect with other people who are down and out or down and heading out, we run that same risk. Not of embarrassing them, but of embarrassing ourselves or getting into an argument that is senseless or destroying the faith of the person who's looking for someone of faith to help them in their faith, to grow in faith and to live by faith. On the other hand, Jesus really cared for people and he teaches us to do the same. You may, more likely may not, have heard of this title called The Inn of the Six Happiness. It is an old movie. Uh, here's how old. Some of you weren't born. 1958. But let me tell you the backstory. It's the true story of one lady called Gladys Aylward. By the way, in the movie, it's played by Ingrid Bergman. And if you were born before 1958, you know who that is. If you weren't, I'm talking to an empty room. <laughs> Gladys Aylward was a faithful missionary in a remote Chinese village who helped run an inn for traveling mule drivers. The China Inland Mission Center in England had refused to sponsor her due to her lack of training, education, and experience. So in the year 1932, she set out on her own, believing with all her heart that this was God's call on her life. 
After many years of service, the Chinese Mandarin, or we would call him the governor, of the town of Wangcheng, made Gladys the official foot inspector. Now let me explain. Those of you who know Chinese history will understand. It was a position that required her to convince the town's aristocracy to cease the damaging tradition of binding up a young woman's feet to prevent them from growing. How did she do it? She did it through the persuasive power of love. In fact, after time, some time, the townspeople called her Jenai, J-E-N-N-A-I in our language, which means one who loves people. What a great nickname to have, amen? Later, when the Japanese army invaded northern China and the war was really starting to rage, the village governor, the elders, and Jenai entered a conference room and they took a seat around a large circular table. The Mandarin offered a toast, saying farewell to the past. In a little while we must leave our city, perhaps for years, perhaps forever. For those of us who are old, certainly forever. Elders of Wang Chang, I thank you for your help in this time of trouble, but we were born to our trouble. There's one who's taken it upon herself, not from necessity, but from love. He stood up, and all the elders stood with him. Jenai, however, remained seated. Jenai, he said, we thank you from those who are not here, whose children you have taken as your own, and there were many, 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 for the poor, for the sick, for the afflicted, from all the people of Wang Chang, for the past and for the future. Listen to this. Listen, 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 listen. Please get this. I honor you for your strength. I wish to share with you the faith from which it comes. Jenai, realizing that the governor is talking about her Christian faith and she's overcome with emotion. City recorder, Mandarin says, close the books of Wang Cheng with this entry. As a sign of respect for the honored foot inspector of this city, the Mandarin or governor Wang Cheng of Wang Cheng has become a Christian. Janai lifted her head slightly and began to weep openly, saying, Oh, I thank you for this great gift. Janai, the Mandarin replied as he put his hand on her shoulder, Accept my gift. It is offered with love. Let's just watch.
These roads, in farewell to the past, mine and China's. In a little while we must leave our city, perhaps for years, perhaps forever. For those of us who are old, certainly forever. Elders of Wang Cheng, I thank you for your help in this time of trouble. But we were born to our trouble. There is one who has taken it upon herself, not from necessity, but from love. and I, we thank you for those who are not here, for the dead whose children you have taken as your own, for the poor and the sick and the afflicted, for all the people of Wang Cheng, for the past and for the future. I honor you for your strength. I wish to share with you the faith from which it comes. City recorder, close the books of Wang Cheng with this entry as a sign of respect for the honored foot inspector of this city. The Xian Sang of Wang Cheng has become a Christian. <laughs> I thank you for this, for this great gift. Jenai, accept my gift. It is offered with love. It is time to go, old friend. here in the Xian Sun Fu for a little. It will comfort me as I leave to know it. We shall not see each other again, I think. Farewell. Jenna. That is the power of love, my friends. True love demonstrating itself over time. An argument never wins any, anybody over. The disciples hopefully found that out very quickly, but nothing is as powerful as the apologetic of genuine love. Now then, we have faith and love. And I'm going to just add, these are lessons number three and four from failure.
and I'm lumping them together. And Jesus wants us to learn as his followers did. And just so we don't miss it, Jesus makes it very clear when he gets alone with his disciples. Now we're down at verse 28. We're still reading. And I hope your Bible's still open for you. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? The disciples, you know, they went a long ways there in that few years. Honestly, I'd like to go through the gospel sometimes and just mark in my Bible the questions that I believe they should never have asked. (laughs) Why couldn't we drive it out? Oh boy, are you ready? I don't think you can take the answer. He replied in verse 29, this kind can come out only by prayer. And in some manuscripts, it says, and fasting. And I'm going to just add that all but two of the earliest manuscripts that we know of include the words prayer and fasting as part of what Jesus said. However we take it, it's very powerful. Now, in other words, Jesus tells his disciples, you failed because you didn't pray. And if you want to add it, and you didn't fast. Friends, if we're going to do what God has called us to do here at Faith Community, we must pray. We can't do it, what's it, anything, on our own. We need God's help. And God has promised that help and enables us when we pray. That's why we have prayer ministry. That's why when there's certain things going on and happening, we pray. That's why when our team is away from us and ministering in the name of Christ, we pray for them. We believe in prayer at Faith Community Fellowship. We believe in prayer at Faith Community Fellowship. I'll tell you why. Now, because for these 26 years or more, we've seen the power of prayer manifest itself. We've seen what God does. We've seen how he moves in answer to prayer. So when Jesus tells his disciples, you failed, You ask the question, here it is, plain and simple, because you didn't pray and you didn't fast, and he's telling them you failed because you didn't really care. You weren't really concerned about the boy? You weren't really concerned about the dad? Their suffering didn't move you to the point of going without your lunch or your dinner so you couldn't help them. You just couldn't help them. Hmm. Depend on Jesus, care, and then add faith and love. Those are the lessons we must learn from our failures. If we're going to move, if we're going to grow, if we're going on like Jesus' first disciples did. They kept going. Oh boy, they kept learning. And did they learn the hard way? But they made a real difference in our world. And that's what we need to strive for, to make a difference in our world, one soul at a time. Like I said, failure doesn't ever have to be fatal, neither does it have to be final. If we learn these important lessons that are being taught here, depend on the Lord, care for the people in his strength, then stand back and watch God do some powerful things right here in your life, in my life, in the lives of countless others. At this juncture of my message, I want to ask you to join me as I dedicate the balance of the teaching and learning time this morning to lift up, to regard, and to honor some wonderful, wonderful people in our corner of the world. 
I'm speaking of medical servants. I'm speaking of doctors, nurses, technicians, nurse assistants, management teams, foreign mission ministries like the Wiverleys in Turkey. Turkey is in a very delicate state right now, politically, geopolitically, and they need our prayer like always. And uh, Kairos uh, House in, in Guatemala and our own Pastor Todd and the FCF mission team. And then back home, we have first responders, police. Thank God for the police, local, county, state, and whatever other form. All public safety personnel. And I'd be remiss if I didn't include those who serve us in our country's military. These people know what it means to serve God and to serve Him well. Not in their own strength, but in dependence on the Lord. Truly caring for others. Making a real difference in our broken and twisted world. And to each of these very fine people we say, thank you and God bless you. So, you are holding a cup of coffee. Someone comes along and bumps into you or shakes your arm, making you spill your coffee everywhere. And the question is, why did you spill the coffee? And your answer is, because someone bumped into me. If you don't get this little illustration, you may have missed everything I said this morning. Because that's the wrong, very wrong answer. You spilled the coffee because there was coffee in the cup. Had there been tea in the cup, you wouldn't have spilled coffee. Yeah, you, you are getting it. Okay. Now stay with me. You're, you, you got that humor. But it leads into something extremely important and very grave. Whatever is inside the cup is what will spill out. You had to say that, Bob, didn't you? Yeah, because while you were laughing, you were forgetting, you weren't getting the meaning of what I'm teaching. When life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it. Fake it till you make it. Until you get rattled. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. As I, bring, I draw this down, what's in my cup? When life gets tough, what's going to spill over? 
It's going to be joy, gratitude, peace, humility, pleasantness. Or is it going to be anger, bitterness, victim mentality, that's popular today, and quitting tendencies? I think I'll just quit. I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to harp on this, but I am going to say this again. Life provides the cup. You choose how to fill it. Whoa. So here's my challenge today. Let's work towards filling our cups with gratitude, with forgiveness, with joy. Some of you could use a real baptism of that. Words of affirmation, resilience, positivity, and kindness, and gentleness, and love. Real, true, sincere love for others. And in so doing, my friends, let's live the value added life and add value to other people. I challenge you to live the value added life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is so, so, so so modern. It's so contemporary. It's so for us. It's so in the moment. It's so today. Your word isn't about some ancient tradition or religious ceremony. It's about you. And it's about our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So God, if there be one here today, that does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that this is their day. This is their day of decision and salvation. If there's a Christian here today that is learning some lessons and learned a few more today from the disciples of old, I pray that you'll give them the strength and the encouragement amidst sometimes difficult times to persevere and to keep moving on and to add value where they can add value and to live the value-added life. Oh, how we praise you for that and for all these many blessings. For we pray again with confidence in Jesus' name. And the church said,